Chapter Thirteen of William an Englishman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. William an Englishman by Cicely Hamilton. Chapter Thirteen. At the gate of the cemetery, they parted from the priest, who had charged himself with the immediate return of the hay cart which he had borrowed from a neighboring farm he shook hands with them nodded kindly to the englishwoman's thanks climbed into the cart and drove off along the dusty road they saw him no more and often wondered what became of him when the wave of teutonic invasion swept over his parish and himself their own way lay in the opposite direction first back to the village inn where the englishwoman picked up her bag and a package of provisions for the journey and then on to the station to await the arrival of the train William followed her incuriously without question or comment, and when she broke silence to explain what they were doing, he assented, speaking with an effort and hardly knowing to what he assented. The train to Paris had been announced by the station authorities for an early hour in the morning. The morning dragged on and became afternoon before it put in an appearance. They waited through long and shadeless hours till two o'clock and after, at the most insignificant of railway stations with a crowd of would-be passengers a crowd that swelled as the hours crawled on until it flowed from the platform far along the line and it seemed doubtful if any train however capacious could absorb its swarming multitude they sat in families about the platform and camped and shifted as an untidy fringe to the track it was querulous weeping apathetic it was also in patches malodorous at midday it picnicked squalidly enough out of bottles and bulging handkerchiefs finding momentary distraction in the process for the rest it had nothing to do but exchange its miseries stare at the curve which the train must round listen uneasily to the echo of artillery and assail the station-master with complaining queries whenever he dared to show his face for the most part that hapless and harried official whose subordinates had been reft from him by mobilization and who was only too conscious that his timetable was a snare and a mockery lay low in his miniature office whence he peered out now and again to make anxious estimate of the numbers that blackened and overflowed his platform as time went on and the throng grew denser he gave up his attempts to reconcile the extent of the crowd with the cubic capacity of a highly problematical train and retiring to his sanctum in despair and for good locked the door on intrusion and complaint whenever as happened not once but often an engine was sighted rounding the curve to the northward there was instant bustle and expectation on the part of the waiting multitude makeshift luggage was collected and clutched at mothers screamed to their straying young families and herded them together in anxious preparation for the formidable struggle ahead but not once but often the alarm was a false one the preparations in vain as the train sped by without halt the first to run past was a red cross train with bandaged men showing at the windows as it slid between the platforms the crowd buzzed its disappointment and then with the exception of some few determined souls who vented their annoyance in raps on the station-master's door settled down in dejection to continue its weary waiting another half-hour of sweltering impatience and again the mothers screamed and rounded up their families with the same result as before this time the relentless and undelaying train was packed not with wounded soldiers but with refugees from higher up the line like unto themselves but more fortunate 
It was packed to the doors and beyond the doors, since men were hanging on the footboards. For many reasons, William and his guardian avoided the platform where the crowd was thickest and sat under the hedge by the line. During the first hour or two of their weary sojourn, she judged him past rousing and left him to his own thoughts, and he sat by her side with his hands hugging his knees and seemingly unconscious of her presence. Later, about midday, when she fed him from the store of provisions she had brought for the journey, she essayed to rouse him by telling him how she had come there and who she was. Her name was Haynes, Edith Haynes. She had been some weeks in the neighborhood, staying in the country house of some distant French cousins. They had been warned, soon after hostilities broke out, that proximity to the frontier might be dangerous, but had been unable to leave owing to the illness of one of the family. Yesterday the invalid, partially recovered, had been got off with her mother in a car procured with difficulty as it had other occupants and could not carry the whole party she miss haynes had volunteered to remain behind and follow to paris by rail william listened occasionally nodding to show that he listened in a way he was grateful for her presence but nothing seemed to matter and seeing that it was as yet too early to help him to other thoughts she left him again to his silence it was after two when a nearing train slowed down as it reached the station slowed down and came to a standstill to a tumult of pushing and shouting it was a train of more than ordinary dimensions a couple of engines to an interminable line of third-class carriages and vans but long as it was it was none too long for the needs of the would-be passengers vans and carriages alike were already well stocked with humanity but the other humanity on the platform rendered desperate by its waiting hurled itself at the doors and pressed and fought a way in the sight was not pleasant there was trampling expostulation threats the angry frightened crowd was past minding its manners and at times the rush for the doors was carried on almost with savagery women were buffeted and buffeted back and children swept away in the press william and his friend she was the sturdier as well as the taller of the two clambered up the steps of a covered truck and were thrust through its opening by the weight of those pressing behind them the truck when they gained it was close evil-smelling and crowded so crowded that many had to keep their feet for lack of the floor-space to sit when the struggle for places was over and it was not over quickly the train was packed end to end with sweating and exhausted travellers there followed a journey that to those who endured it seemed endless a crawl punctuated with halts the halts were lengthy as well as frequent sometimes in sidings where refugees perforce gave place to troop trains sometimes in junctions where they pulled up indefinitely at a platform and where worn-out officials could give no information as to when a fresh start would be made the waits wearisome as they were were by far more endurable than the wretched stages in between which were stages of sweating heat and smells of stifling and cramped discomfort on the platform at least it was possible to stretch and breathe in the vans it was aching backs and bones and a foulness that thickened with the miles children wept and sickened as the hours crawled by and all through the darkness their crying was never stilled as wretched little wailing or angry howl it mingled always with the throb and clank of the train the delicate chill of morning was as nectar after the stench of the crowded night by special mercy just as dawn broke they drew up in a siding with fields to the right and left of them neither william nor his friend was asleep when the train stopped and crawling over recumbent bodies on the floor of the van 
they dropped down stiffly from their pen and stood breathing in the clean cool wind with their damp clothes sticking to their heated bodies they sucked the air into their lungs even william blind with his misery conscious of the calm loveliness of morning on stretches of green after the reek of the lantern-lit van his companion shuddering at the sight of her hands went in search of water and discovered a tap on the platform whereat william in his turn drank thirstily in soused hands and face before they settled down in a field at the side of the line there on the good green turf they shared the last remnants of their package of food some bread and an apple apiece for all the hours they had spent on the train they had accomplished only some half of the distance to paris and as refreshment rooms closed or cleared out by the troops could no longer be counted on to supply the needs of the traveller they had little prospect of further sustenance till they reached their journey's end they ate their small meal sitting as far as they deemed safe from the train and the crowd it had disgorged ate it in silence for william had not yet found speech his world for the time being was formless and void and as such incapable of expression all day they travelled as they had travelled on the day before in jolted crowds in squalor in heat to the sound of the misery of children they ached they wearied they sweated they thirsted they halted and lurched on again too wearied even for impatience they endured without complaint until even the children were past crying the sun was low on the horizon when william drowsily stupid raised his head from his knees as his friend touched him on the arm he looked up stupidly the train was plodding through forest he had ceased to hope for the journey's end and sat for the most part with his head on his knees in a dull half-dozing resignation if we don't stop again she told him we ought to be in fairly soon i think that's chantilly we've run through we're only half an hour from paris in ordinary times that's to say the times were not ordinary and they took more than half an hour very much more to get over the twenty-odd miles they slowed to a crawl for the last stretch of the journey and outside paris between paris and st denis they halted and waited till well after night had fallen but at long last the interminable wait was ended and they creaked and crept forward to a platform of the gare du nord where william for the first time set foot in the capital of france as he did so he remembered a fact that had hitherto slipped his memory that heinz and his companions when they took his pocket-book had left him without a penny so far the loss of his purse had not troubled him he had lived as the beasts live and been cared for even as they but paris was civilization where money would be needed for a lodging he had no resource but his companion and as they drifted along with the slow-moving mass on the platform he appealed perforce to her i'm afraid he stammered i've got no money they took it away from me the germans she reassured him briskly with don't worry about that i've got plenty i'll settle the hotel and the journey you can pay me when we get back to london stick close to me whatever you do if i once lose you in this crowd i shall never find you again he replied with a mutter of thanks and obeying her injunction to stick close was crushed in her wake past the barrier at the end of the platform past the heated officials who were striving to deal with the needs of the influx of refugees and finally out of the station there in the open space before the gare du nord he stepped back suddenly from the world of nightmare into the world as he had always known it the wide lit street in front of the station was filled with a moving and everyday crowd in his ears were the buzz of the taxi and the warning clang of the tram 
the change from the horrible to normal surroundings from brutality and foulness to the order of a great town was so sudden and complete that it took away his breath like a swift plunge into cold water and as the life of the city enwrapped him and claimed him for its own for one crazy moment it seemed to him that the last few days were impossible their fantastic cruelty was something that could not have been and he almost looked round for griselda End of chapter 13 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine